0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Uh, Let's get into your headlines this Friday morning. Trade deal optimism fuels a rally as high-level talks get underway, while President Trump says he'll meet with Chinese Vice Premier Lil He today. We just completed a negotiation with China, we're doing very well, we're having another one tomorrow. I'm meeting with the Vice Premier over at the White House and I think it's going really well. Sterling jumps to a two-week high against the dollar as Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar sees a pathway to a Brexit deal after a positive meeting with UK leader Boris Johnson.
1: SAP Chief Executive Bill McDermott sets a step down after a decade at the helm of the German software giant, with the new co-CEO Jennifer Morgan telling CNBC she believes now is the right time for a change at the top.
2: Other than thinking about handing over the reins and kind of going through a transition at the beginning of the year, which is really our most busy and active time, setting the strategy and getting the new year in motion, he felt now was the appropriate time to come out. We had a great strong quarter,
1: and Hugo Boss cuts its fuller outlook for the second time this year, citing weakness in the US and a slowdown in Hong Kong due to months of anti-government protests.
0: welcome to the program. Let's kick off on the trade story. Very, very good negotiation. That's how President Trump described day one of the latest trade talks between the U.S. and Chinese officials in Washington. The president is now scheduled to meet with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He tonight. Amid optimism, the two sides can reach an agreement to stave off proposed U.S. tariff hikes next week. Let's have a look at how the markets reacted to this,
1: then. It was all pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, it's all right. We had a couple of days of rallies, but net-net, the markets are flat on the week. That's pretty much the summary there. Data's been a bit mixed. But, Jeff, I want to speak to you about known knowns, as opposed to unknown unknowns or unknown knowns, and whatever, Rumsfeld got it round as well. Because... I want to talk about what's going on in Japan at the moment because it was going to be a brilliant sporting weekend. It was going to be amazing. You've got Suzuka Grand Prix with, uh, on Sunday with two days, of course, of qualification before that. You've got an amazing weekend of absolutely pivotal rugby games in the World Cup, which is being held in Japan. But it's all gone up at the moment um, and, and it's very uncertain because a lot of games have been cancelled. There's no qualifying on the Grand Prix because of Typhoon Hagibis. Now, this typhoon uh, is potentially devastating. So we must say, look, let's hope there's no human cost to this as well. But the point being is the world knew that there was a typhoon season uh, between the months of August and October that would potentially hit Japan. Because the reason why the world knows is because it happens every year. And yet, and yet we have Suzuka right amidst this. And yet we have the Rugby World Cup, which was always potentially going to be threatened by inclement weather from this typhoon. So the market and the organisers of these sporting events were obsessed by winning the rights to them, obsessed by getting themselves on the calendar as well, and they didn't think about the practicalities. Bring it back to the market as well. And the market is obsessed by certain things at the moment. It is obsessed. And what I'm wondering, and trying to tie these two things together, uh, is is the market obsession with Trump? Is the market obsession with trade? Is the market obsession uh, with with, with Brexit and these factors? Making it miss some really obvious stuff, which means it's going to hit some form of heavy weather as well. I mean, those obvious things could be the structure of the market, the fact that there are liquidity issues as exposed by the repo market. The fact that we are bringing us ourselves to debt levels not seen for decades in some of these economies as well. By the laws of nature, that should worry some people. And yet the S&P is only 3% away, 3% away from its all-time record high. Let's have a look at the Asian markets as well, uh, including the Nikkei, because i spent a lot of time looking at Japan at 1.1% high. So a really good rally there because people hope there'll be a trade deal. But if and when we get a trade deal, A, will it be all encompassing? And B, will it be the global panacea to a lot of these questions we have about the economy? Regardless of that, And yet, as I mentioned to you, these markets have done very, very little this week, net-net. But my goodness me, what a ride. First couple of days, down, down aggressively. And then we've been up aggressively last couple of days. Uh, And this is the futures, the implied open. So seen higher on the S&P. Big rally seen uh, on the Dow as well. Uh, And indeed, the Nasdaq also seen 53 points higher. How many times do I hear people telling me, yeah, you've got to own the technology stuff because it's immune to what we're seeing uh, on the trade front? I I don't know. I don't know. Let's just see. Anyway, the FTSE, this is a here, let me get to this. I'll, I'll stretch out So I done my button. The FTSE is down today because Radka and Johnson had very, very warm meeting at a hotel in Cheshire yesterday. Isn't that very interesting? FTSE is down. And yet we're thinking, hang on, this is good for British equities, potentially, if there is a deal. Well, you know the deal here. The pound goes up. Hence, the dollar earners look less good value. But again, uh, some people are wondering now, can the pound and the FTSE move in the same direction on the back of either a deal or no deal. Zetradax seen 12,206. So plenty, plenty more going on. Now look, for an update on those trade talks that Jeff introduced as well, uh, we have Eunice who filed this report from Beijing.
2: Vice Premier Liu He will head to the White House tonight. President Trump tweeted that he and Liu, who's leading the Chinese delegation, would have a face-to-face, raising hopes that tariffs set for next Tuesday and the trade war would be put on hold with a deal. This is what President Trump said. We just
0: completed a negotiation with China. We're doing very well. We're having another one tomorrow. I'm meeting with the Vice Premier over at the White House. And I think it's going really well, I will say. I think it's going really well. So we had a very, very good negotiation with China. Uh, They'll be speaking a little bit later, but they're basically uh, wrapping it up, and we're going to see them
2: tomorrow right here. And it's going very well. The heads of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the U.S.-China Business Council, who both met with Liu overnight, said they were hopeful for so-called early harvest agreements on China's currency policy and IP rights protections. State news agency Xinhua quoted the vice premier as saying that China is willing to reach an agreement on matters that both sides care about. That optimistic tone contrasts with the overarching effort in the Chinese state press to downplay the outcome of the talks. The trade talks come at a time when the level of drama in the U.S.-China business relationship is especially high. The standoff between the NBA and its Chinese critics continues. An exhibition game Thursday between the Lakers and the Nets in Shanghai went ahead as planned, and that's despite... Despite a dispute over the league's support for a manager's tweet on Hong Kong. But criticism on Chinese social media has been fierce, with users calling the fans lackeys. And the strong turnout for the game could be a relief for the NBA that it's retaining at least part of its Chinese fan base. Eunice Yun, CMC Business News, Beijing.
1: Let's move this on. Scott Teal is with us, Chief Fixed uh, Income Strategist at BlackRock. Good morning to you, Scott. How are you? Nice Mm -hmm. to see you. Look, um, I've got a piece from BlackRock here in front of me, dated earlier this week, the 7th. So why earnings season matters? And I love uh, headlines like that because I have always cared about earnings season. I actually don't see a lot of these macro issues and geopolitical issues as tradable as well. So when I was making this big presentation about the market being fixated on one thing, but actually other things really mattering, it's kind of stuff like this that I mentioned.
3: Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about there is that, obviously, what we've seen in stock market appreciation this year has been really a multiple expansion, which is this idea, particularly driven by the fact that we have had lower rates, obviously been a big driver of that, of that expansion. And so what we would do is we reflect on, effectively, earnings estimates as we look at them from the beginning of the year. They've been downgraded pretty substantially over the course of the year, as you would expect. And so when we look at the market going forward, what we suggest is that you could actually see a positive surprise from earnings as, as a contributor to performance. We're here to really, it's been that multiple expansion. Now,
1: I know that the guys, ladies and gentlemen, at BlackRock are not lazy. In fact, I know they're some of the hardest working people on yeah. the planet because I know how the, the company works, you guys. But isn't it quite lazy of us to say, oh, it's been marked down and hence we be? Because dare I say, it, every single quarter I've seen for the last 31 years I've been in the city, mm-hmm. you always have a, a marking down so that you can miraculously beat expectations and come in roughly at 70% beat on the earnings.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, but to some degree. But I also think that the, the the setting is relevant here, right? And so in other words, one of the big views that we have is around this idea that despite the political turmoil, and we've seen some relief, I guess, in the last day. I mean, I'm not sure how, how long lasting that'll be, but, but that geopolitics filter into the real economy, central banks ease to address that, right? And so in doing that, they've allowed the, the, the stock market to maintain its, its, you know, its expansion, but at the same time, they're also preventing the real economy from going into recession, right? And that's the critical part. So when you look at earnings estimates, it's not just because they, were, they always start the year very positive, they get marked down, and then you have upside surprises, but also that the underlying fundamentals are more positive than the market is is perceiving. But it, I think that's an important point. But wouldn't it be incredible if we, I
0: mean, I think we broadly agree, looking at the further analysis here yeah. and the macro issues, that we, we're seeing a steady erosion of economic growth momentum globally. Mm-hmm. And even in the United States, I think the latest JOLTS data on the job market yeah. showed us that the labor market itself oh. is slowing, which is a trailing indicator. And perhaps that tells us, actually, that there are lots of bad things already in the pipe waiting to come down the pipe. It would be incredible, wouldn't it, if companies were able to improve the quality of their earnings against that macro backdrop?
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a couple of things here. One is there's the expectations relative to what's delivered. And that really matters for asset prices, right? That matters for investors to see how they perceive the, the, the assets to, to perform. But I think on your first point about the real economy, mm. I mean, I think it's, it, the jury is still out, right, on how, to what extent has the trade war impacted the U.S. real economy. Mm. So you mentioned things about, you know, ever so slowing, you know, jobs growth, if you want to say that, or the inflation profile being relatively mixed. But the reality is, if you look at the kind of, the the health of the U.S. consumer, there's a lot of really positive things going on there, which, you know, and again, could be, you know, could move through time, downgraded, upgraded. But the reality is very low rates, very high employment, right? record high employment. Financing rates are very attractive, deleveraging. There's a lot of positive things in the US consumer, which we think the trade conflict has yet to really impact. Uh,
0: uh, So why then are we seeing money continue to move to the fixed income market and find safety in treasuries? and a a topping out effectively of US indices, even as we've had some peaks and troughs through the year. Effectively, it feels like we peaked sort of 18 months ago on these markets. If everything underneath the bonnet is fine, surely but the market, the bond market in particular, is telling us that that's
3: not the case. Well, I think the bond market is an interesting. So, you know, part of the the investment r- thesis around owning bonds is they provide resilience for the for- portfolio, right? Which is their head. So, when everything is going down, the portfolio at least something is going up. And despite the low level of yields, right, Treasury bonds still have exhibited the U.S. Treasury bonds in particular that resilience for investors. So, this. Bes- you know, inve- Investors buy government bonds, they don't really buy them for return. They buy them for surety of principle, they buy them for liquidity, and they buy them for this ability to offset the other risks in their portfolio. And so I think even if we look at locally, the, the performance of Treasuries still fit that, that description despite the very low level of yields, which I think is a draw.
1: I had a great chat. In fact, I'm looking at it on CNBC.com now, just to get my facts right, with Mohammed El Arian on yep. the sixth of September on the lakes of Como. Oh, it was lovely. <laughs> it's lovely. It's Nice being back with you as well, yeah. Jeff, in a windowless room. Mm. But it's better with El Arian in, in Como. I'll be honest. And, and he said, and this is the point I want to make, is that the global bond market as a core holding, you've got to be really careful. In fact, you should look at up. Op- bond holdings now as more of opportunistic holdings rather than core because of everything we've got to, because of the 30-year run we've had, because of the negative yields as well. You disagree with me, sir?
3: No, I'm I'm not disagreeing. I think there's a very very important point here that, you know, again, Treasury bonds and fixed income perform different functions for different portfolios. So government bonds in particular offer resilience against other assets. Have done. Yeah, they have done. And and I I think they will continue to. Obviously... I'm not suggesting in the next two weeks rates can't rise, right? So if we look at what happened yesterday, right, even the whiff of a Chinese US trade deal sends 10 year treasuries 10 basis points higher in one day. Right? I'm not disputing that that could possibly be the 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 outcome if we get a trade. Was there. it
1: because of the? I, I saw various commentary on that. You would have seen the same. Was it because of the China? So I don't mean to point to you. That's very rude. Yeah, no. Was it because of the China trade yeah. uh, you know, aspirations, or was it actually because of the mechanics in the market and people just haven't got the same appetite anymore?
3: Well, I mean, you know, so I think so. When we use, when we look at that that question about appetite, I think one of the things to look at the bond market because it's a very good example. So if we look at from the ECB meeting to yesterday and, and not taking yesterday's price movement. right? 30-year treasuries were 30 basis points lower and 10-year bonds were unchanged. Now that's pretty interesting to me and that suggests that at some point, that, to, to Mohammed's view, at some point as rates get low, they become less resilient for, for investors. But I think the broader fixed income market, so outside of treasuries, is still a carry story, is still a yield story, and that's still relevant for investors despite the low level of government bond yields. So what what we were suggesting is that the treasury market is something that you can be pretty active in managing yes. because you have days like yesterday, right? And you have you know so but but the idea is that the spread component that additional carry that you get from owning assets that are not government bonds I think is still attractive.
1: Excellent, Scott. Well, you're going to stay with us. We get plenty more chance to uh, have a look at your various hypotheses as well. But I mentioned CNBC.com. And look, guess what? It's not my job to sell CNBC.com, but we have got something great on the site, actually. It's the China Trade Index. Did you know we had a China Trade Index?
0: I do now. And I think it is your job to sell CNBC.com.
1: No, it's not. My job is to be a journalist.
0: And to sell CNBC.com. Disagree.
1: Anyway, for a list... <laughs> look at you and I. Uh, for a list... If anything proves that we're not here to sell CNBC.com, it's that conversation, isn't it? Anyway, look, for a list of stocks that are sensitive to the twists and turns of the US-China trade talks, did I mention that we've got a great website called CNBC.com? <laughs> yeah. um, genuinely, have a look at this. It is actually really interesting looking at those major stocks as well. I enjoyed it anyway. Um, let's talk <laughs> Apple. Apple
0: CEO Tim Cook back to decision... <laughs>
1: Whoa. By
0: the company to remove a police tracking app from its app store that was used is that by like anti-government can, protesters. Can laughter from like an old Seinfeld Hong or something. Kong. I just thought it was bad timing by the director. I thought yeah. he was applauding He's the not previous getting right conversation. Today, is he? But- Um, Cook told employees in a letter seen by Reuters that the app was used, quote, maliciously, adding that individual officers were being targeted. Cook's comments came as Apple faces heavy criticism from Chinese state media, which called the app Poisonous. Meanwhile, Google has suspended an app that lets users play role play as Hong Kong protesters. The company said the app violates a policy preventing developers from, quote, capitalizing on sensitive events. Uh, still to come on the programme this morning, a change in the mood around the Brexit negotiations. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that meeting between Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson and what's come of it. Plus,
1: poor, poor direct. We've already had a row about sofa today. That's probably why we we're. Uh, anyway, sofas. <laughs> sofas. I, I mean, you'd, you'd row with a lamppost if it was in your way. I do my best, yeah. yeah. Um, if you can't get enough of Sportbox, um well, the direct's going to cut up a beautiful podcast for you. Uh, you can tune into our very own podcast we call it cnbc.com uh, uh it's actually on cnbc.com but a great website i didn't have to mention that apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast have a listen have a listen and download today's episode and for our listeners uh, you can stick around for a little bit more What a day yesterday. Sterling catapulted almost 2% higher after a positive meeting between the UK Prime Minister and the Irish Taoiseach. The pair spoke one on one during a walk in the grounds of an English country manor. It was actually in Cheshire. It's also a wedding venue. Uh, Later in the day, the Irish leader Leo Varadkar said there was sufficient progress for Brexit negotiations to resume in Brussels. Big statement. I had a very good meeting today with the Prime Minister and our teams together. Um, Very positive uh, and very promising. Um, I am now absolutely convinced that both Ireland and Britain want there to be an agreement. Uh, That's in the interests of Ireland and the United Kingdom and the European Union as a whole. Um, And I do see a pathway uh, towards uh, an agreement in the coming weeks. This is absolutely extraordinary. So the newfound optimism comes ahead of a crucial week for Brexit with the Queen's speech on Monday. Now, I say that because uh, it could be a very interesting day in Monday. I'll I'll tell you all about it on Monday. It's going to be very exciting. I'll be on the streets of London. Uh, It's a last chance EU summit on Thursday and Friday, apparently, and a special sitting, wait for it, of Parliament in the UK on Saturday. This does not happen. I think it's happened like four times since 1939 or something. I haven't got the exact number, but it's very, very rare. Scott Teal, yeah. um, very easy question. What do you think?
3: Well, I think that, I mean, partly the markets give you a little glimpse yesterday of what of what, uh, of what what positioning is like and what the what the view is around, around a deal. So you saw yesterday, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, a, a huge move in the pound, which for one day is actually pretty extraordinary. Secondly, big uh, upward movement in 10-year gilt yields, which have been really in some respects kind of, Uh, a midway between the Treasury and the Bund market in terms of their performance. So the market obviously views any kind of positive outcome as positive for the pound uh, and negative for gilts. Our view has been that that the most likely outcome you're going to get would be a delay and then uh, general election and then a kind of a renegotiation. So obviously this news, if, if they were to put together a deal before you know, before the deadline to the EU summit. I think that would obviously be a very positive development. As we mentioned before, we look at the pound more generally. It's really right in the middle of a big range it's been in between kind of the referendum and what what has generally been accepted as a, as perhaps a, a, a negative point would be a parity to the euro on the no-deal Brexit. So I think we're right in the middle, which makes it an interesting trading opportunity, which is why you get a big move like you did yesterday.
0: Isn't that um, suggesting then that, gilts at these levels look like a tremendous opportunity because if if you say um you know you've still got positive yield in the uk i mean now greece even greece has gone negative yielding on what planet is the uk more likely to default than greece on its debt obligations.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is obviously nothing about uh, you know about about default. It's right. about the you know it's the rates, the interest rate structure. It's about the bank financing rate. And obviously, what we have in the UK is we have uncertainty related to, to Brexit. Mm. Then we have uncertainty related to the Bank of England's uh, you know uh, reaction function to what to what happens. Mm. Now, gilts have mm. performed you know interestingly again as I mentioned before, they have rallied like the US and like Germany, but in between those two, mm. partly on this idea that there is a un- more uncertainty. AROUND THE the GILT MARKET. The gilt market, in some respects, doesn't benefit from the liquidity that is present in the Bund and in the Treasury market. So 10-year and 10-year Treasuries, I would argue, have almost the same liquidity. Mm-hmm. So investors that look at flight to quality outside the UK for trade negotiations would generally go for either the Bund market or, or the Treasury market. But isn't, I mean, part of the problem, you talk about the liquidity, part of the problem
0: is the scarcity, surely. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, the institutions that we talk to are crying out for the opportunity to buy more um, uh, securities, yeah. effectively, from the UK government. So there does seem to be high demand. I mean, it just seems to me you could wait and know more to pay more. But while you've got these positive signs, and while the UK does seem to be a little out of whack with the rest of the Eurozone in terms of how the sovereign is, is traded yeah. at the moment, you know, why wouldn't you buy it now while mean, you've still
3: got uh, positive yield? Yeah, I mean, I think the issue comes down to what we were talking about before, which is the near-term impact of, of deals, right? Mm-hmm. So it, we talked about what happened in the Treasury market yesterday or the, in the S&P market yesterday, sure. and we talk about what happened in the Gill market. And the, and well, let me ask you, that, <laughs> let me
0: just shortcut that very sure. quickly. If we have a deal that mm-hmm. gets through Parliament, <clears throat> is the Bank of England more or less likely to hike rates at the next meeting? Because this is an economy that's skirting with recession at the
3: moment. Yeah, but but I think so much of it has to do with the sentiment around kind of economic activity. And so if you remove the uncertainty related to Brexit, and it's really substantial, because not only is it a, obviously that the, the likelihood of a no-deal Brexit has gone up in the market's perception, but also it's been going on for a very long time. Yeah. Right? And, and so the argument is that the longer it goes on, the more preparation you have for a company that's gonna be in existence, you know, that the for the for the no-deal Brexit. But also the longer it goes on, the more it weighs on confidence, both at a consumer level and at an industrial level. Mm. And so I think that the you know the issue will be if the Brexit deal is 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 negotiated and confidence returns, rates could rise not immediately, but certainly could.
1: Before Brexit, we talked about Grexit. <sighs> And I just wanted to widen this out just a little bit. Why should I trust any signal that's coming from the bond market, Scott? <clears throat> I, I don't, just give it. How about this? This is the FT on yesterday. Yeah. Athens raised four hundred eighty-seven point five million euros from its auction of thirteen-week bills at a yield of 002 percent. Yeah, I don't. I didn't. I know, but I just didn't yeah. think in my lifetime I would see stuff like that. Why should we trust the signal from the bond market? Well, I mean Given the fact I, so many places. yeah
3: I mean I think you know again, I think the, the tr- trust trust is a you know is, is a strong word. If we look at the rate structure in the front end of the market in, in Germany, obviously it's much more negative. And so this idea that there is a premium that investors get, albeit the all in yield is negative for Greek bonds. Mm-hmm. I mean I think at some point and we, we've talked about this, we talked about this earlier in the show, there is this idea of the reversal rate, right And the reversal rate is when rates become so low, that they actually impede financial conditions, don't actually loosen them. And so at some point in Europe, you know, we're going to push towards that rate. But in the meantime, you have this situation where financing rates are much lower than than the policy rate and much lower than where Greek bonds would be issued. And so there's a carry component for investors. Thank you for
1: listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.